We're going to be looking at the Tower of Babel, a return to the Tower of Babel, a sign for our times. So what are we going to think about during this presentation? Well, we're going to cover the following. We're going to look very briefly at the story of the Tower of Babel, just to set the context and to remind ourselves of what happened during that incident. We're going to think about how history is repeating itself, how the events of the, uh, the building of the Tower of Babel are happening all over again, perhaps on a different scale and in a different context. But the important thing is about where this is going to lead, um, because with the Tower of Babel, we know that God intervened and he put a stop to what man was doing in the way that he was behaving, in the way that human nature and culture was developing. And God is going to do exactly the same in our day and age because man is going down exactly the same path. Now, we find the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Now, for the sake of time, what I want you to do now is to actually pause this presentation and I'd like you to read uh, Genesis chapter 11 and the first nine verses. Um, even if you know the story well, just do that, just to remind yourselves, uh, because we're going to pick up on some of the detail and some uh, of the specific um, issues that are raised during this story. So let's pause our videos now and just read that um, passage again, Genesis 11 verses 1 to 9. Okay, so hopefully that's reminded us of this well-known Bible story. Let's just briefly summarise what went on uh, in those first nine verses of Genesis 11. So we basically find that the people were all gathered together to what, in one. They had one language. They were using the same words, the same terminology. Um, they were looking to build cities. They were looking to build a tower which was reaching up to heaven. It says that they wanted to make a name for themselves, uh, that they were united. They were of one language. And it went so far that there was nothing that they could um, that they proposed uh, that wouldn't be impossible for them. Uh, they thought that they were almost invincible. So what God did, he sent his angels and he confused their languages and uh, people were dispersed to the four corners of the world. And it says that they left off building uh, this great tower. So there's three things there that I want us to, to really think about and to concentrate on now. We're going to think about the city. We're going to think about the tower. We're going to think about this name that they made for themselves. OK, so at the time of the Tower of Babel, it says that the whole earth had one language. OK, now I want us to think about language in our day and age, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to bring these themes forward and think about how they apply in the context of the 21st century. So there was one language or, or tongue. That's what it means. Um, and elsewhere in the Bible, that word is translated as bank or brink or edge. Uh, it could mean the corners of a, of a country. Um, it's also used in Genesis chapter 10, verse 5. So it's not an uncommon Bible word. Um, and it's talking about speech. Um, and really, speech is, is something that betrays our manner of, of life, our, our way of doing things often, isn't it? It, it reveals to people the thoughts that are going on inside in our minds. Now, think about languages today. 
Um, here's a quote from the New York Times some time ago now, so perhaps the figures have changed uh, slightly in the last 14 years or so, but it says of the estimated 7,000 languages spoken in the world today, linguists say nearly half are in danger of extinction and are likely to disappear in this century. In fact, they're now falling out of use at a rate of about one in every two weeks. So that's really quite some decline in the number of languages that are spoken throughout the world. And what we can see in this graph is as the number of people in the world, the population of the world increases, the number of languages decreases. OK, so there are less languages per people. So in effect, what we're doing is we're heading towards the same uh, situation as they found at the time of the Tower of Babel, where there are less and less languages and it's easier for people to communicate with each other. OK, here's just some stats about language uh, today that 400 languages account for 95 percent of the world's population. The remaining languages are only sp spoken by 5 percent of people. So that's 6,600 languages spoken by only 5 percent of the people. Uh, as we said, one language disappears every two weeks. Um, about 18 languages only have one remaining speaker. Interestingly, though, look at the bottom left hand corner. English is the most spoken language with about 1.5 thousand million speakers. That's nearly two billion people in the world speak English. OK. So here's the top 10 languages by total number of speakers. Figures a little bit different. It depends where you look. But what this is basically telling us is that an enormous proportion of the world is speaking uh, a low number of languages. OK, so English spoken by between one and two billion people uh, certainly is their first language. Uh, people who might have it as their second or third or even fourth language, the numbers continue to increase and increase. But what it means is that it's easier for people to communicate just like it was at the time of Babel. So English is, is the spoken, the official language in uh, more than a quarter of sovereign countries. So it's the most official popular language, uh, the most popular official language in the world. And uh, these countries that are covered um, by having English as their official language are spread throughout the world. They're on every continent, pretty much, uh, maybe with the exception of, of South America. Um, just some more interesting things about the use of the language. Well, of course, it's an international language, isn't it? It's often the language of books. It's the language of airports. No matter what airport you go to, you'll probably see English there uh, on the signs. It's the language of air traffic control, of international business, of science, technology, diplomacy, um, pop music, advertising. Um, two thirds of the world's scientists speak English. Three quarters of the world's mail is written in English. OK, so what we're seeing then is that we are heading towards that same situation as they found themselves uh, at the time of the Tower of Babel. And we'll have a look a little bit later about what impact that is having and about how that really is coming to fruition uh, through something in particular. Another thing they said about uh, another thing that's told us about what happened at the time of Babel um, is that people gather together. And then he said, come, let us build ourselves a city. So not only could they communicate well together, they wanted to stick together 
they wanted to uh, congregate together in a city. Now, if you think about the urban and the rural population of the world, what we can see is that even though the population of the world is increasing quite significantly, um, the proportion of people living in cities is far greater than that of people uh, living uh, rurally. 68% uh, of the world's population to live in cities by the year 2050. So that's a staggering number of people, isn't it? Um, places particular like India, China, Nigeria, they're going to account for one third of the 2.5 billion additional people living in cities by 2050. So some staggering numbers about uh, how people are gathering themselves into cities again, just like they were at the time of Babel. And what are some of the impacts about living in a city? Well, there can be pluses, um, but there are also significant um, uh, minuses to living in a city. <clears throat> it causes high population density, of course, which brings with it all kinds of other problems around inadequate infrastructure, lack of affordable housing, slums, crime, congestion, issues with water and sanitation and waste. Um, we know the slums in, in many of the poorer countries where uh, people have congregated together in cities and they've gathered together and they're doing it for economic reasons mainly because that's where the jobs are. But it brings with it all kinds of different, different problems uh, that you can see there on the slide. Okay, and you can see in the graph there that um, the less developed regions um, where a lot of the, the growth in cities is really occurring in place, places like India and China, perhaps some of those less developed regions, um, the numbers living in cities uh, is growing faster than it is in the more developed regions. And these are often in places where uh, simply the infrastructure isn't there and people can't cope. Okay, what else did they do at the tower, time of the Tower of Babel? Well, of course, there was the tower itself. They said, come, let us build ourselves a tower. And they wanted to reach into the heavens. <clears throat> okay, now think about it in terms of skyscrapers. Okay, those are basically our towers of the day, aren't they? Well, look at the staggering numbers of skyscrapers um, that we have in today's world compared to just 50, 60 years ago. OK, there was only one building in 1960 that was over 200 metres tall. And now there are many hundreds. Um, man is reaching to the skies and it links with what we saw just now, doesn't it, about the cities. There's less room in cities. There's less room to spread out because of the geography. Uh, and so where do people go? Well, they have to go up, don't they? Up and build up into the heavens. So the number of skyscrapers is increased significantly. One tower in particular is very interesting. So this is in Strasbourg in uh, on the eastern border of Germany, and it's the EU Parliament building. Um, so my wife and I were, were very blessed a couple of years ago uh, to be able to go and visit this very interesting building. Um, but it is quite staggering. OK in terms of what it represents. So it's there, of course, representing the European Union. OK, so 
Interestingly, many people have compared this building with what they thought the Tower of Babel looked like. It's modelled on what's known as a ziggurat. OK, so that's a, a tower that was uh, found in, in the Middle Eastern regions. And this article, uh, which I think maybe have been in Newsweek or a similar publication several years ago now, it is making a direct comparison between the European Union and Babel. Look at that stunning headline on there. Europe, many tongues, one voice. And that's what Europe is all about. It's all about bringing people together and congregating together in one place and having one mind where nothing will be restrained from what they imagine to do. Okay, so there you go inside the building and it really does look like a ziggurat. It's obvious what they have modeled this building on. But notice and remember what it said at the end of the story of the Tower of Babel. When God intervened and dispersed everyone, it says that they left off building the city. Okay, so they never finished it. And what we have here in the EU Parliament building is basically an unfinished building. They haven't finished it. And that's what it's representing. So right in the middle of the courtyard of the EU Parliament building, you come across, it looks like a ball of wool, a green ball of wool. But there's a very interesting quote that you can find uh, on one of the plaques. And look what it says. It's all about a united earth. Again, it's picking up Babel, language. Now this I thought was staggering because um, I knew this building existed, I'd seen the outside of it in pictures before, but I'd never been inside it. Now here's a picture from the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, okay, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Very famous of course, so Babylon and Babel, they are synonymous with each other. So here's the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, and here's what you find when you walk inside the EU Parliament building, hanging gardens. Now, I think that is quite staggering because it seems to me that this entire complex, this building, is modelled on Babel and Babylon. And I think that's quite stunning. OK, so uh, one of the other quotes, one of the other um items that we want to pick up on in terms of Babel is around one people, about this united people making a name for themselves where nothing would be restrained from what they imagine to do. Now, how does that relate to today's world? Well, to me, that relates very much to the Internet. Um, if you think about the world's population today, around about six, seven billion people, the number of people using uh, the Internet certainly in the developed world, is, is, is not far short of 100%. And it's about half the population of the developing world. So everybody basically has the world at their fingertips. This is a quote from one academic who said the following. He said, the Internet is the largest community in history, as big as the global population in 1960. It crosses every border and culture. OK, Babel was a, a time without borders. It was one world, and that's what the Internet is described as. And enough people are connected that the Internet has become a planetary infrastructure for communications and collaboration. 
the tools and the knowledge of one nation now belong to all nations. Okay, language that we picked up when we were thinking about Babel. And this uh, individual, this this expert, this this academic talks about how the Internet is uniting the world. And he says, as the international community descends into chaos, a rising planetary community is changing lives and communities everywhere, bringing the worlds together. Okay, this is happening in three main ways. Global empathy leads to global interests where mass movements once stood for local or national interests. Now, online communities are moved by global interests far beyond people's intermediate immediate lives and communities. There are no more far away countries. So the world is effectively through the Internet. It's shrinking. And we can see that in the pandemic, can't we? Um, we're so reliant on the Internet and technology to keep in touch with with family, with friends, uh, with business travelers has completely gone. But it's been replaced by using Zoom, uh, by using Microsoft Teams, etc. The world is a shrinking place. OK, uh, the second thing he says about how the Internet is uniting the world is um, by use of, of a specific example. So he says, as the world thinks, the world acts. In 2008, a 33-year-old engineer called Oscar Morales created a Facebook page, One Million Voices Against FARC, to protest against the Colombian terrorist group. Over the next month, hundreds of thousands of people from around the world liked his page and joined his movement. And in February 2008, millions of people marched in more than 100 cities worldwide to demand that FARC come to the negotiation table. That is the power of the internet to bring people together so that they've got one voice. Planetary institutions, we're dealing with a new form of human community. In an age where knowledge is the most valuable resource and the planetary community the most powerful actor, the most effective global institutions are those which harness the power of online networks of citizens, activists and experts. One day, millions of people around the world are working together to advance global interests as part of a common infrastructure. As billions more people join the Internet over the coming years, the online community will continue to grow in size and sophistication. OK, so that's interesting. Nothing will be restrained uh, from what they're trying to do. One people, one voice uniting together. And that's done in this day and age over the Internet just as it was done uh, with those people back in the time of Babel. So this is how he concludes, which and I think this is fascinating. So this is how the Internet is uniting the world in thought, action and institutions. Technology gives us the chance to make the next big step to build one great human community, just like it was at the time of Babel. But for the very first time in history, instead of listening to leaders speak on behalf of the world, the world shall speak for itself. The problems of every nation should be our problems, but so will be the opportunities and solutions that we can build together. Building together. It's the language of Babel. Every leader, movement, business and organisation has a chance to harness the power of, the power of this planetary community to move the entire world forward. Everyone connected is part of the next chapter in the story of humanity. All of us have a chance to write it together. A united Earth is coming. 
So that is the language again of Babel. And I think that's absolutely fascinating. We are going right back to the way that things were at the time of Babel. And if you think about it, you think about the, uh, the, the scientific advances that we made over the last couple of hundred years since the Industrial Revolution. Um, and that really does chime, doesn't it, with that quote about the Tower of Babel, that nothing will be restrained from them. OK, here's a quote. Most would argue that the past century is one of the most remarkable in human history, producing a host of technological advances, gadgets, gadgets and scientific discoveries. Absolutely incredible things that man is capable of now through science and through knowledge. A lot of these very, very good things, but it's just illustrating the point that there's almost nothing that is restrained from what man is able to do. Now, what is God going to do? Well, we know what happened in, in, in um, Genesis. God saw this. He wasn't happy. He knew that nothing would be um, restrained from what they were trying to do. So he said, come, let us go down. And they confused their language so that they may not understand one of the, another speech. So the Lord dispersed them. The Lord judged them and they were dispersed. Now, exactly the same thing is going to happen to this world. Uh, because of the way that man um, is, is is expressing himself and, and making himself so proud um, and making himself uh, trying to be as God. And so God is going to bring judgment upon this world. So on the, the Babel of, of Genesis 11, so it will be. Um, to the Babylon of this day and age. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. The earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every clean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. So that is speaking about something specific, but I think it also represents the judgments that are going to come upon this earth, that are, come, that are going to come upon man and mankind uh, because he is acting in a way just as he did at the time of Babel. OK. Now, it's interesting that we can compare what happened at the time of Babel with what we know is going to happen after God intervenes and sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, back to this earth to establish his kingdom. We haven't got time to go into this now, but what I'd like you to do is, is when we finish here, read again Genesis chapter 11. OK, read again uh, what happened in that incident. And then what I'd like you to do is have a look at Zephaniah chapter three and have a look at these quotes. Have a look at the contrast between the way things were at the time of Babel and how they are going to be at the time of the kingdom. And there's a real contrast there between man's rule and God's uh, rule in the kingdom. So I hope that's been of interest to you. Um, we have really gone through it quite quickly um, and I do apologise. And there's a lot more we could say. And we could have gone into a lot more detail in, in some respects. Um, but hopefully that that's piqued your or, or at least got your interest in terms of looking at these things and to think about 
how God will bring his judgments upon the earth. Um, and I think it's quite fascinating um, that the way things were at the time of Babel, that we're going right back to that same situation. And the way that God dealt with that, with that was to send his judgments upon the earth. And God is going to do exactly the same uh, to mankind in this day and age. What we have to do as individuals is be prepared for that. We have to separate ourselves from this world, separate ourselves from man's thinking. We need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to turn to his father, uh, the Lord God in heaven. We need to open his word and to consider its message so that we can be saved from the judgments that are coming upon this earth. Thank you.